are diving into part three, believe it or not, of Romans, our study on Romans, and uh, and believe it or not, we're still in chapter one. I've been assigned or been uh, been following the study guide that David Applegate gave me, and. Um, <laughs> Actually, I'm actually several several points ahead of of where I would be if I was following following that. No, um, rest assured that we won't get mired down in uh, in in a lot of this. And David doesn't get mired down. Great, great things happening in his Sunday school class. If you're not in it, uh, and you're not in another class, I strongly encourage you to be a part of it. They're not even studying Romans, but it always seems to come up. So uh, anyway, good. Uh, Good stuff there. But uh, we, we will be looking at, in just a moment, Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Uh, it will be up on the Jumbotron for you. However, uh, I would strongly encourage you to pull it up on your own uh, Bible or device uh, so that you know that I didn't put any typos in there. And you always need to be, uh, be checking and making sure that we are solidly uh, planted on in the Word of God. As we begin, I want to tell you a story about a hiker who was charged with... Uh, with eating an endangered species while, uh, while hiking in the woods in California. Uh, after hearing that this man actually ate, killed and ate a condor, uh, the judge quickly passed judgment and, uh, and, and, uh, and, and sentenced this man to, to 10 years in prison. Uh, the man, however, uh, said, uh, pled for, for himself and said, I, you need to hear the whole story. And so the judge, against his better judgment, uh, allowed this man to tell his story, and he told about how he was he was lost in the wilderness for uh, three days and three nights, and then he saw this bird uh, miraculously appear, this condor, uh, on the rock uh, uh, out uh, ahead of him. He was able to kill the bird and eat the bird, and with the sustenance from that bird, uh, he uh, traveled for three more days and three more nights without food or water uh, before he was finally rescued. And he said, Your Honor, had I not eaten that bird, I would not be here today. The judge was moved by the story. He suspended the sentence, and as they left the courtroom, the judge asked the man, just in out of curiosity, what does condor taste like? No, he didn't say it tastes like chicken. He thought for a minute, and then he said, well, it's kind of a cross between bald eagle and spotted owl. Some people are just bad, aren't they? They're just, it's just wrong, right? Uh, we, we don't have to look very far to see uh, bad behavior in the world today. It's, it's nothing new. People have been bad for a long, long time. The Bible has a new name, uh, a few names, several names for this, this bad behavior. Wickedness is a, is a name that the Bible uses. Evil, unrighteousness, ungodliness, probably the most succinct name that we know is sin. Bad stuff. In the last half here of Romans chapter 1, Paul goes pretty in-depth on this whole study of sin. What he calls, among other things, he calls it doing what ought not to be done. So this sinful behavior is things that, that, that we're, we're doing that ought not to be done. Before we jump right into it, let me, let me catch you up, uh, or, or at least remind you of, uh, of where we've been, what we've learned in the past couple of weeks, uh, and, and so, uh, what we know about the book of Romans, uh, what we call the book of Romans is, is really a letter, and, uh, uh Paul, the, the apostle Paul, a missionary, uh, is, is writing this letter, has written this letter to the Christian church in Rome. Uh, this is just about 20 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. Paul had never been to Rome, but he'd heard about this church and their faith, and, uh, he 
was planning a trip to go to Rome and beyond. And here in this letter, he lines out what has come to be known as Paul's best explanation of Christian theology, uh, how all of this following Jesus stuff is supposed to work. And so, so it's a, it's a great theological work. It's a great letter. It's a great encouragement. Uh, all of those things. Uh, and, and, and we've been, been walking through, uh, this, uh, this letter over the past couple of weeks, and we'll continue to do that through this winter. Uh, last week we looked at what is, what is really the, uh, the thesis of the whole letter, so to speak. Paul, in a nutshell, kind of, uh, says this is what we're gonna be talking about, and then the rest of the letter he kind of expands on that. It's found in verses 16 and 17, and, uh, I, I don't know about you, but I've been thinking about it, uh, and kind of living in it all week. Uh, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God. And we talked about that last week, this, this power that brings salvation. Salvation, not just to a few select people, but salvation to everyone who believes. All we have to do is have faith and we can uh, tap into the salvation and the righteousness of God. Uh, everyone who believes, it's, it's good news, it's the power of God and, and that's what we'll be unpacking, how that all works and, and what, what that all entails. So that's uh, verse 16 and 17, and Paul's talking about it and he says, the righteousness of God, verse 17, the righteousness of God is being revealed a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. The righteous live by faith. But then verse 18, there's a corner that's turned. And and, and not only uh, does Paul say that the, it's God's righteousness being revealed, but also his wrath. Because, as we'll find out, humanity has a sin problem. We're bad. We do bad things. There's, there's wickedness and, and godlessness. We do what ought not to be done. And so I'll warn you as we, as we dive into this, Romans 1, 18 to 32, warn you again, it's, uh, I don't know, PG-13, um, a heavy PG-13 maybe. Here we go. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual immorality uh, or impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. 
They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they do not, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. End of chapter. Paul's not pulling any punches here. He's talking about sin and wickedness and depravity and sexual perversion and homosexuality. And after that, a a list of, of 21 different sins, all of it results in God's wrath being revealed. I mean, it's, it's heavy stuff. It's not this, oh, let's go to church and have a great time. It's heavy stuff. Sorry, I did a little dance there and that's not recommended. We're not videotaping this, are we? Good. Now, believe it or not, this sin talk actually goes hand in hand and is part of Paul's explanation of salvation and holiness. It's all part of the deal. Uh, in the next two chapters, so so literally through the middle of Romans chapter 3, so from, from what we just read here all the way through chapter 2 and through the middle of chapter 3, I encourage you to read it. It's all about sin. It's all about the consequences of sin and what has happened because people sin. It focuses on the Gentiles and those would be the non-Jewish people and how they've sinned and also the Jews and how they've sinned and whether they have the law or they don't have the law, whether they've had God's law all the way along as the Jewish people have or whether they're new to the faith like the Gentiles, everybody's in the same boat. And Paul emphasizes that through these, through these couple of chapters. But, but why would he, why would he focus on all this awful stuff? I mean, there, there can be, uh, and, and here's, here's the thing. It, it all goes hand in hand. There can be no discussion of salvation with a deep understanding of the depth of sin. I want to say that again. There can be no discussion of salvation, how we're saved by grace through faith until we understand the depth of sin from which we need to be saved. One, one young boy explained uh, how he understood all this theological stuff. Uh, he, about eight years old, and in his little eight-year-old mind, he's explaining it to his little sister. And he said, here's, here's how it works. Uh, it, it's Jesus' job. It was Jesus' job to die for our sins. It's our job to sin, he said. Well, it may not be our job to sin, but it's in our nature to sin, right? We, we, we've been guilty since, uh, since Adam and Eve in the garden. And we have to know that. If we don't know that, if we don't recognize uh, the sin, then, uh, then, then, then we don't appreciate the salvation. <laughs> we, we have to own the fact that we are born into sin if we're ever going to truly appreciate the extent of God's grace and mercy to us. If, if sin were just a little thing, salvation would be too. An old theologian, Ernst Gogler, once wrote... Where one knows nothing of God's wrath, there one knows nothing of his love. God's wrath against sin makes his grace and love all that much more significant. So let's talk about sin, baby. Oh, there's another song in there somewhere. No, well, we'll, we'll talk about sex in a few minutes too. So that's, we'll just, we'll just cover it all. Uh, the first thing that we need to know about sin, as Paul says here, uh, we, we know better. 
Some may say that we just slip into sin or we can't help it or that's just the way we are. And, and, and in a sense, that's true. We are all born with a sin nature. Uh, we're, it's inherited from Adam. Uh, what John Wesley uh, describes as a bent toward sinning. Uh, we're born with this bent toward sinning. Most theologians call it original sin. Uh, but this passage isn't necessarily addressing original sin. We'll, we'll get to that uh, later. But but uh, but but this is all about sin by choice. I'm choosing to sin because I know better, but I'm choosing it anyway. The, uh, fifteen verses we read twelve, in, uh, twelve times in those fifteen verses, Paul emphasizes that we know better. He actually describes and talks about the fact that that, that God is knowable. That, that, that God has revealed himself to us. The problem is not that God has hidden himself from us. I think a lot of times we, we think that, that, that we're, oh man, I'm, I'm seeking after God and if I could just find him, it's like this, this hide and seek kind of thing and God's, God doesn't want to be found. God wants desperately to be found. It's not that he's hiding from us. <laughs> We've chosen to reject him. How is that? How, how, how does that work? Because, I mean, it, it, we're born in sin. Uh, how is it that we know better? Well, first and foremost, Paul says that God has made himself known through creation. We just look around and we say, wow, there's got to be a God uh, because of the, the complexity and, and enormity and beauty of, of this creation. But it's, it's more than that. It's not just that Paul is, is arguing that, that uh, we should look at creation and know that there is a God. But l- literally, he, Paul is saying that, that God is, is not just that we should know that he exists, but that, that he can be known. That he can be understood and, and, and involved in that is that he has a moral code of some sort that we're supposed to be following, that, that, that he's raising up as, as our responsibility to follow. That, that it's no, God is knowable and we've turned against him and done our own thing. Uh, C.S. Lewis uh, in Mere Christianity talks about this moral sense of ought or oughtness, what we ought to do, that, that we're, we're born with. We literally have this, this sense, uh, uh, to, uh, to, to know what we ought to do and then we don't do it. Uh, Paul says that God has revealed himself to it, that, that, that it's plain to us. And that I, I guess it all boils down to the fact that, uh, that, that we're, we will be held accountable for what we know or what we should know. Uh, that, that, that sin uh, is we know God, but we've chosen against him. We've been avoiding him. Sin uh, always has that effect on, on, on humanity. And from the very beginning, Adam and Eve sinned. They, uh, they, they, they ate the, the, the fruit in the garden and, and then God came and they were hiding from him, right? Their story, I love the story about the pastor who was out visiting one Saturday afternoon and, and, uh, he, he came to this, uh, this door and, uh, you know, knocked on the door. Uh, the, the, he, these people went to his church. He was, uh, just trying to check up and, 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 you know, to talk with them a little bit. And he could tell that they were home. I mean, cars are in the driveway and, and he could tell that they were home and he's knocking on the door and ringing the bell and nobody's coming to the door and uh, they're avoiding me here. What's going on? So he takes his business card and he wrote on the back of the business card a, a Bible verse. Uh, just the, the, the reference to a Bible verse says Revelation 320 or three, yeah, 320. Revelation 320. He stuck it in the, in the door. Now, those of you that are extra holy, you already know what Revelation 320 says. For all the rest of us, it says this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. So he, he uh, wrote that reference on the, and he stuck it in the door and he, he went on his way. The next day, lo and behold, uh, the, after church, the, the pastor's card uh, showed up in the offering plate. But underneath his, uh, his uh, reference to Revelation 3.20, there was another Bible reference. It says Genesis 3.10. 
Again, for those of you who are extra holy, you've already uh, gotten ahead of me, but uh, for all the rest of us, Genesis 3.10 says, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. The problem has never been that God has hidden himself from us. And we need to know that. It's not that God is hiding himself from us and and we just can't help but sin because we don't know any better. Paul says we've chosen badly because we do know better, but we're hiding ourselves from God. We know better. He also says that in the process of sin, one one big way to describe it, and he does it over and over again, uh, and and I couldn't, couldn't... Well, I've got three different ways of saying it there. Uh, We prefer fake over real, or we prefer a lie over the truth. We prefer counterfeit over reality. Sin is choosing fake over real, or choosing the lie instead of the truth, or choosing counterfeit instead of the real deal. Literally, and Paul uh, talks about that, that sin literally can be traced back to idolatry. We substitute false gods for the one true God. He talks about how, well, although the, the, the real true God is knowable and, and we've known God, we've, uh, we've instead made these, uh, these idols and he's uh, in the form of, of humans and animals and, and we worship those instead. Well, we don't necessarily have idols that uh, we're bowing down and worshiping necessarily, but, but, but literally uh, we've put ourselves up as an idol, right? Uh, sin is uh, doing whatever I want, when I want, how I want, with whomever I want. Uh, the, the center of sin, I, I remember an old, old time years ago, Sunday school class where they said, what's in the center of sin? I. I is in the center of sin. Sin revolves around doing what I want and not what God wants. I want to be in charge. I don't want anyone, even God, to tell me what to do. Just leave me alone to do what I want, to do what makes me happy. I just want to do what makes me happy. Our society seems to be revolving around that uh, that whole concept, and perhaps maybe now more than ever. I, I don't know. It's probably just that I'm aware of it more than ever. But but everyone wants to be happy, right? And and I just want to do what makes me happy, and and I just want you to be happy, and and you to be happy, and and you just do what makes you happy, and and I hope that you're happy, and <laughs> they deserve to be happy. Do we deserve? Uh, well. As I look at life, uh, a whole lot of pain and misery happens in the world every day from people just trying to do what makes them happy, right? I mean, I think if we could, if we could ask them, a lot of drug addicts and alcoholics and people struggling with sexually transmitted diseases and dying of AIDS and, and struggling with the pain of broken relationships, they all started out just wanting to be happy, right? Just doing what makes me happy. Just what I want. We chase after things that we think we want, and in the end, they lead us away from the great life we so desperately need. Just because we want to be happy. Here's a thought. Maybe it sounds a little harsh. God isn't all that interested in making you happy. He wants to make you holy. And in, in becoming holy, you'll be flooded with happiness and joy. But if we're just chasing after what makes me happy, what I think I want, forget about you, God, I want to do what I want to do. There are a lot of consequences to that. And so that's the 
The third thing on your sheet there, we deal with sin's consequences. Because it, we know better, but we choose badly. Uh, because we, uh, we're, we're, we, we, uh, it, it all comes down to idolatry and, and selfishness. Because we, we trade in the truth of God for a lie. Then we're going to deal with the consequences of that. We make bad choices against God. It leads to awful places. We trade the truth of God for a lie. We choose fake over real. And so God's wrath is being revealed, it says. And I think when we, when we talk about God's wrath, we get this, this big picture of, of fire and brimstone and this great heavenly temper rising to the boiling point and all of a sudden God can't take it anymore and he lightning bolts and flashes and uh, fire and sulfur and all these things and, and God just... There's stories in, in the Old Testament that should probably make us quake that, that are a little bit like that. <laughs> when I read this passage, though, that, that Paul is writing here in, in Romans... It feels a lot more like a sad, reluctant father who wants the best for his children but has to allow them to suffer the consequences of their behavior. This passage has been used at times to fight against sinners with venom and hatred. You evil, wicked heathens, God's going to get you the wrath of God is being revealed. I should have gotten you to do the reverb really loud there. Ah, wrath of God. If I read it, and I encourage you to read through it again, I mean, there's a lot of bad stuff there, but I hear the breaking heart of a heavenly father who so much wants his creation to get it. And they have ever, every opportunity to get it, but they don't get it. And so finally, his wrath looks a lot less like an act of aggression and a lot more like allowing the natural consequences of sin to flow. Three different times, uh, Paul says that God gave them over. It's in verse 24, it's again in verse 26, it's again in verse 28. Uh, God gave them over to the consequences of their sin. Instead of holding that back or protecting them from the consequences, God finally said, okay, that's what you want. That's what you get. He didn't have to send big lightning bolts and fire and brimstone. The consequences of sin are bad enough. Counterfeits aren't the real deal, and at some point, the truth brings consequences. C.S. Lewis, in his, in his book, The Problem of Pain, says, he's talking about the godless and the wicked, and he says, they enjoy forever the horrible freedom they have demanded and are therefore self-enslaved. People that are godless and wicked. Because of God's wrath, not necessarily that he zapped them, but he simply stepped back out of the picture and said, okay, live the way you want to live. See how that works out for you. And so they enjoy forever the horrible freedom that they have demanded and are therefore self-enslaved. Sin has consequences. And we have to deal with those consequences if we choose to sin, even though we know better. When we trade the truth of God for a lie and we follow the lie, follow the counterfeit, there will be consequences. There will be what my father always called a comeuppance. There was a, a woman walking uh, down, a, down a street one day and she noticed a little old man on his porch in a rocking chair and just, uh, you know, watching life pass by. And, and so she hollered up to him and waved and smiled and he smiled back and she said, oh, what's your secret for a long, happy life? And he said, well, I smoke three packs of cigarettes today, uh, cigarettes each day, and I drink a case of whiskey a week, and I eat nothing but fast food, and I never exercise. And she said, wow, well, 
how old are you? And he said, 26. <laughs> there are consequences for bad behavior, right? There, there are, there, there's cons- if we choose to eat wrong and, and, and have habits in our lives, then there will be consequences from it. Sin has lasting consequences, and God lets those consequences come. And many times, that's how God's wrath is revealed. He doesn't have to do a big act of aggression. He simply steps back and lets nature, lets sin take its course. And, and as sin sets itself up in our lives, it's harder and harder to, to, to see it even more, to, to feel convicted of it. We're, we're guilty of sin, we're in need of a Savior, and we don't even know it. And so as Paul uh, kind of lays out this argument and shows this whole thing, God's wrath is being revealed against the, the godlessness and, and wickedness, and, and it's, it's, uh, we knew better, but, uh, but, but uh, we, we chose badly anyway, and, and uh, so we have to deal with the consequences. And, and so then Paul says, you know what, we need a, we need a good sermon illustration right here. And, and what better sermon illustration than from the world of sexual perversion, right? I mean, they'll really get it if I go there, he says. And so verse 24, he talks about sexual impurity. And how he, God gave us over, uh, gave humanity over to sexual impurity. Verse 26, then he talks about shameful lusts that, that, that lead to homosexual acts uh, by both men and women. Uh, they didn't acknowledge God as God. They started worshiping their own will in their own way. I want to do what makes me happy and pr- pretty soon. God said, fine, deal with the consequences. And they said, okay, great, anything goes, anything goes. And Paul said, here's a prime example of it. Look at homosexuality. These are some, some key verses in Scripture. If, if people are wondering uh, what God thinks about homosexuality, this would be one of the first places I would point someone to say, hey, it's, it's not what God wants. It's very clear throughout the Bible that, that, that sex was designed to be a, between a man and a woman in the context of the holy lifelong covenant of marriage. It's a, it's a wonderful thing that brings intimacy and connection on, on so many levels. But the, the, the truth of that... Sexual intimacy, the truth of that and how God has intended has been traded in for a counterfeit, right? Traded in for a lie. I, I can have pleasure whenever and with whomever I want as long as I want to be happy. Paul uses this as an illustration to show just how far humanity has gone. The shame that should be associated with such lewd and crude acts has disappeared and, and people don't even see it, see it as wrong anymore. They've traded the truth of God for a lie. But I want us to not just stop right there. Because before we get on our moral high horse and we start putting up uh, billboards denouncing homosexuals and their sin, it seems to me that that the church today has a whole lot today about a whole lot to say today about certain sins and we get pretty quiet about some others we need to realize that we're all guilty and that's number 4 on your outline it feels great. It, it's, it comes easy, I think, for us to uh, condemn sexual perverts, right? Well, they're wrong for sure, and I don't do that, so I must be holy and good. I, I can't believe someone would even think about doing that. I remember driving years ago, driving through Topeka, Kansas, 
And you've probably seen at some point in your life on the, on the news, Fred Phelps and uh, his church and how they, they uh, picket and, and, uh, against homosexuality. And, and, uh, and, and I, we saw it in person as we drove through, couldn't hardly get through uh, as they're, they're condemning homosexuality, not just condemning homosexuality, condemning homosexuals and how uh, they're going to burn in hell and, and all these things. Uh, right, right up, up the road here on, on I-70, a couple of times in the last few years, we've seen a billboard that, uh, that, that, uh, uh from, in a, in church backyard right along the highway that says much the, the same thing. In a, in a, not, not, uh, so much a condemning way, but still proclaiming the evils of homosexuality. We tend to protest with big flashy signs, uh, uh against big flashy sins. I'm wondering where the billboard is against gossip. I'm wondering where the, uh, where the, the protest is against disobeying your parents. Let's move from preaching to meddling now. We, we tend to compare ourselves to the bad sinners instead of comparing ourselves to Jesus Christ. I, I don't know if you paid attention to the rest of the passage here. It doesn't just stop with homosexuality. God, or Paul pulls that out and says, hey, here's an example, a prime example. People have, have taken this wonderful thing, uh, sex between a man and a woman in marriage, and they've perverted it. They've taken it. It's, a, it's, it's the truth of God, and they've, they've traded, it, traded it in for a counterfeit that's never going never gonna to result in anything but negative, awful consequences. Here's an example. But realize, and he says it, he goes on there. He says uh, there's 21 other sins listed there. A lot of which we would classify today as, well, it's not that big a deal, or that's, a little, that's not as bad as homosexuality. I think it's pretty convenient to point out the biggies and to look down our noses at the ones we want to think that we don't struggle with, <laughs> and we want God to, to work on them for that, but we never submit ourselves to God cleaning out our own hearts, the things that we struggle with. I've told this story before. I was a uh, uh, worked for five or six years through, through high school and college uh, on breaks as a as a dishwasher, and uh, I remember going in the first night, and they were stacked. The dishes are stacked up to here, and and I you know I'd wash the dishes after after dinner a little bit at home, but this was a big deal, and they had dinner for fifty sixty people, and these pans, and that night they had they had uh, au gratin potatoes. And if you've ever made a gratin potatoes, well, if this cook had ever made a gratin potatoes for you, you would know that they only served out of the middle of the pan because the edges got all crusty. Just, you know. And I remember working on that, uh, working on that pan and uh, scrubbing and cleaning and, and whatever and doing whatever. And, and, and I remember looking at that and I, I'd probably worked on, on the first pan. There were several, and I worked on the first pan for maybe 20 minutes. And I'm, I'm looking at it, and I'm looking at the ones that I still have to come, and I'm going, you know, that's, that's a lot better. That looks really good. I mean, there's still crusties in the corner, and there's still, you know, cheese here and all that, but, but I mean, it, it looks, I mean, that's a lot, compare, it looks good. If we're just comparing our lives to the sinners around us, the people that don't yet know Christ, sure, we'll look good, sure. Paul says that that God has revealed his righteousness and that our righteousness is like filthy rags compared to his, that, that, uh, that, that, that we need to trade in our lives for the righteousness of God. 
And if we're going to compare ourselves to God's righteousness, there's no comparison. Nobody wanted to, to make anything else out of that pan the way I had it still right there. There's no way. It was dirty and gross, and I had to work on it some more. We can't just compare ourselves to those sinners that deal with all that stuff out there without constantly submitting ourselves to the scrutiny of the Holy Spirit and say, God, where is it in me that doesn't match you yet? Cleanse me, fill me, make me new. So this list that, that Paul has here, he talks about sexual impurity, he talks about homosexuality, and then he lists all these other things. And included on the list is gossip and disobedience to parents. Um, just so you know, those things are, are right there. But it's not an exhaustive list by any stretch. There's other sins listed in, in Scripture. Paul's simply illustrating that sin is a widespread problem and none of it belongs in the life of followers of God. And then verse 32 comes, and maybe you're walking through this and you're going, yeah, well, I don't struggle with that, and I don't struggle with that, and I'm doing pretty good, and God has helped me here, and, and I'm doing all right. And, and then verse 32 there not only condemns the people that are doing the sinful things, but then it says uh, those who approve of these things are also just as guilty as those who do them. Oh, I would never do that. But we'll just let them do whatever they, you know, I won't condemn them for anything. I don't want to get involved or, or maybe we're, we're sitting down to, to, to watch a movie and, and there's all kinds of things going on there. And, and I mean, the, the word there, uh, approve of could literally be translated applaud. Uh, are we, are we entertained by sin? James Edwards says it this way, consent or silence in the face of wrongdoing lends subtle support to make something fashionable, which deserves to be condemned. Obviously, homosexuality rises to the surface as a prime example, again, even today, of something that, that uh, should be condemned, but instead is seen as fashionable, right? Is there anything else in, in your life that you're allowing to stay there, but it's actually trading the truth of God for less than, for a counterfeit, for a, for a twisted version? It's... The end of this chapter, uh, Paul kind of leaves us there in sin. Now, uh, back in the day when Paul's writing this letter, there weren't any chapters and verses and all that. Those have been added so that we can kind of make sense of it all and we can all turn to the right page at the right time. And, and like I said, this is just the beginning of, of Paul's discussion about sin, and, and it goes on through all of chapter 2 and through the first half of chapter 3. So, so Paul is, 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 is talking a lot about this stuff. He, he leaves us here at the end of this chapter in sin, and it's a, it's a messy, nasty place to be. And we're left to deal with the truth of our sin and the wrath of God. He leaves us to experience the consequences of sin. But, but, but God does that not only as a punishment to say, yeah, there's, there's punishment for the, with the consequences of sin, but also so that we will awaken to his offer of salvation. Remember, uh, we, we can't appreciate the, the, the immensity of salvation until we appreciate the depth of our sin, right? And so Paul is talking about sin and talking about sin and talking about how awful and bad and wicked it is uh, to emphasize how great and amazing and incredible God's grace is in the face of that. 
I think of the story of the prodigal son that Jesus told, where, where uh, the prodigal son had stolen his, his uh, uh, father's money, basically, and, and gone and, and squandered it in wild living, it says. And, and it talks about prostitutes and other things. He's, he's taken it and he's, he's literally traded the truth and the amazing re- relationship uh, with, with his father for the lie of uh, pleasure and what makes him happy. And he ends up, the consequences of sin come, and he ends up sitting in the pig trough with the pigs. We experience the consequences of sin. But when that, uh, that, that uh, son was uh, sitting in that, in that uh, uh, the pigsty, he was exactly the right place where he needed to be to awaken to the truth that he had a father who still loved him. When we experience the consequences of sin, we are in the best place possible to realize the salvation of God. It's been said that sin always takes us farther than we want to go and keeps us longer than we ever want to stay and costs us more than we intend to pay. We trade the truth of God for a lie. We trade the the, the reality of God for a counterfeit, and it doesn't end well. And so we're left with a choice. When we we hear a, a, a message about sin like this, then obviously we need to evaluate well, does this apply to me? Uh, certainly, at some point in your life, it has applied to you. All of us have sinned, and we'll look next week at that, that uh, famous uh, passage in, in Romans 3.23 and surrounding that. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've, we've all been at that place. And so, a- as we evaluate, if, if, if that's true for us today, then we have two choices. We can either keep living the lie and deal with the consequences... The wrath of God is being revealed. Or we can trade in the lie of sin for the truth of God. Remember, God uses all of his power on your behalf to free you from sin. His righteousness is possible Uh, through faith. Confess your sin. Know that, that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. 